With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no-empty-miles future at convoy.com slash sustainability. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon, the show at Freight Waves, where we focus on all things involving sustainability, insights, information, and inspiration in transportation. Today, I'm joined by Desiree Wood of Real Women in Trucking. Desiree, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to have you on because, as you know, a lot of the focus on this show, it's net zero carbon. So we talk a lot about emissions reduction. We talk a lot about alternative fuels and what carriers are doing to implement new technologies. And all of that's great, but it's very heavy focusing on the E in the ES and G. And I really want to hear from you today more leaning into the S and the G, the social and the governance, because your your message for the industry is a really important one. And I think it's one we need to amplify. So why don't we start with you know, a brief introduction about you, your role, how you got started in freight, and a little bit about real women in trucking. Okay. Well, I am a driver. Um, I have now over a million safe miles as over the road truck driver. And I, I have firsthand experience, not only in the modern day truck driver training, but also because of my exposure through social media, have become in all, involved in all of these other areas, truck parking, uh, freight advisory committees, uh, being an advisor uh, for uh, electrification uh, survey for small and minority fleets. And I consult on movies and also an expert witness on some court cases involving sexual assault, uh, discrimination, wage theft, um, things of this nature. And it, it, it was not my intention when I entered trucking to get involved in all of this. I, I really just wanted to drive and, and uh, get my paycheck on Friday. And when I was off, take my time off wherever I landed. That was what I was trying to do. But there were so many problems just trying to get through the training. And there was such a, a disconnect with what the industry was saying about truck drivers and trucking and what was actually happening to the drivers. I, I, I became an advocate by necessity, um, partly from self-preservation, but partly because I could see the drivers had few to none advocates to speak for them. That's great. And I'm glad to hear that you've been able to leverage your platform, so to say, to try and drive change in the industry. Now, you and I first connected at a conference here in Franklin a few months ago, the Supply Chain Insights Conference, and I heard you speak and was really um, kind of overwhelmed at the, the numerous challenges in the life of a driver that Oftentimes, when we're just thinking about freight rates or tech improvements or supply chain networks, you know, we forget what really makes this industry run. And it's the millions of drivers who are behind the wheel moving the economy, the literal global economy. And so it's important for us to step back and get really micro 
for a minute and understand, not just anecdotally, what are some of the biggest challenges today facing drivers? But let's take that next level down and say, what are some of the biggest challenges facing female drivers? So maybe you can talk about some of those um, that you see in your advocacy. Well, well, that is a big reason that I formed Real Women in Trucking was that I, I became a driver in 2007 and there was another organization that was formed that same year. I joined them right away, but when I sought help for them from them for the situation that I was in, uh, sexual harassment, uh, retaliation for reporting it, really bad training, unsafe training. Um, they did nothing. Um, so I found that that was a pattern in practice with them, that they were not really helping drivers, but they were using the driver's pictures to get sponsors. We formed our own organization and those are the women that I help, the women that enter. They are not part of an established team. They're not associated with this industry. So they go to these companies where they have company-sponsored training. They're just a single female. They're expected to do team driving with a stranger. Some are sexually assaulted. Some are uh, violently attacked. Uh, more women trainers isn't necessarily the answer because some of the women trainers are, are more sadistic than the men. What we've seen is that the problem is over recruiting when they don't have a tie to retention. And then they have trainers that were somehow coerced into being trainers who are a little resentful. They don't want to be trainers. They're in it for the money and it gets really aggressive. It's really not the way to teach people how to do one of the top 10 most dangerous jobs. So you have a lot of women entering and a lot falling through the cracks. So that is the big thing that we really want to address um, for the women. They get a lot of media attention. It's just such a great way to get a media blitz from mainstream media, but they really don't dig into the surface and go, why are all of them leaving just a few months after they came in? And that's where we come in and are trying to get people to dig deeper. Definitely. And we know that driver retention is hard across the industry, male or female, but it's definitely a unique experience, as you're saying, when you're seeing women, the data shows more often that they're, they're staying at jobs less, they're changing more. Do you have some of that data? We were talking a little bit before the show around how it's different, male versus female in the industry. Yeah, we don't have any data. Um, there has not been, there have been some uh, studies from the University of Kentucky many years ago on violence against women truck drivers. We have had the most difficult time trying to retrieve this data. It's almost as if it was buried. Um, we got a notification about a crime prevention survey uh, last month, two months ago. We found that it was closed as soon as it, we got the link, and we were referred back to the other organization that I'm, I'm talking about to contact them for information. So we filed a Freedom of Information Act to find out what is going on here 
first of all, they have too many conflicts of interest to be in charge of any data of this kind. So it has to be very neutral. But there is definitely a story that needs to be told about the women, the violence, violence against um, male drivers, uh, racially charged um, incidents. Uh, there's many uh, things that we're missing about what is happening to drivers and why they're moving around. It's hard to move from one trucking job to another. It is a huge endeavor. So if they're leaving, they're leaving because they were lied about the pay. They're not getting treated as well as they thought they were. And they're making a big decision. So when they're doing it several times, what I see is they can't, a lot of times new drivers can't tell the difference between one starter company and another starter company. Um, and they jump from the frying pan into the fire. It really takes a long time, I think around four years for them to be able to tell the difference that this company here is exactly like this company here. They just have different colors and they worded their recruiting ad a little bit differently. So that is really a difficult uh, thing that you burn drivers out where they're, they're, they're company hopping, but they're company hopping to the same bad situation. Definitely. I saw that a lot when we were running our own fleet in Dallas where we would have drivers coming in and jumping ship and talking about pay. And I even saw on the sales side working at a brokerage too. You got guys coming in with seven different business cards in eight years. And it's really an issue of misaligned incentives, right? People prioritizing growth over culture and trying to, to grow at all costs, minimizing the lowest common denominator in the workplace and underpaying creates a lot of this churn. Now we're at a place where I think a lot of the industry has developed in such a way where we recognize the cost of that churn, whether that's in driver turnover or customer acquisition. We're no longer just cutting rates and sacrificing service. People, by and large, I hope, at least the top half of the industry is trying to make it better and provide better service, not only to their external customers, but to their employees, because it is so hard to find and keep and retain good employees today. When you see new female drivers come into the industry, what are some of the top tips and tricks and advice that you're giving to someone just to open their eyes what to expect? Well, the first thing we try to get them to do is to go to a community college for their um, preliminary CDL training because they're going to get more thorough training. It's usually cheaper or they can get a grant and they're going to walk out of there with their CDL in hand. We strongly discourage them from going to company-sponsored training because those are really the worst training, and they're often going to use them for team driving, which is incredibly dangerous and difficult if you're just one solo person because that means all their freight is around freight that needs to be moved by a team. So if you want to get a paycheck, you're basically going to have to be wandering the halls looking for some random person that you've never met before just so you can get a paycheck uh, to team up with. There's you don't have you, you don't know anything about them. You don't know what where they came from, what they do, if they freak out under stress or or if if, if they have a, you know, they're violent or sexual predators. So we don't want women to go to companies that are using them for team driving. First of all, they should be learning. They shouldn't be 
doing one of the most dangerous sectors of the industry. In any other business, why would you have students doing the most dangerous job of your organization? But trucking, that's what they do. And because they are a cheap labor source. So we try to get them to stay away from companies like that. And if they leave a community college with the CDL in their hand, they have a lot more choices. They they can go to a lot better starter companies to get a going and not be in these companies that are doing team driving students or trying to lure them into these lease truck programs, which is the next, you know, anchor around their neck is they're led to believe, well, you, you, you can go from working at McDonald's to making 80,000 a year um, in your first year here, be an owner operator, but they're really a misclassified worker and they don't know it and they don't realize it until they're way deep in it and they have to walk away from that truck. With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no empty miles future at convoy.com sustainability. Absolutely. Yeah, there's not many industries that I'm aware of outside of the military where you're automatically given a roommate and someone you're going to work with and spend weeks on end. And, and in that industry, we have a lot more specialized training going on than what we do here, even though we've got a lot of veterans working in the industry as drivers, for which we're extremely grateful and thankful. Yeah. I was a military wife. Uh, my ex-husband is a retired major who taught at West Point. And, you know, the, the military, you know, they have the buddy system and they, you know, you go to boot camp and they tear you down and they build you back up. But trucking doesn't do that. They tear you down and it's up to you to build yourself back up. And that is where we're really failing is you don't have a buddy system. You don't have somebody that is um, going to be watching out for you. You're on your own. So you are going there believing that this company is going to get you a good trainer and a good co-driver and that you don't have to watch your back. Um, that, that the military has its own problems with sexual assault and rape. They have a long ways to fix with that. But trucking's even worse and they're so good at denying it. And there are a lot of enablers in our industry. So we are... We're still in like 1955 on that, on that part of it. We've got a long way to go mm-hmm. on that front. It sounds like. What are some things? You know, let's let's talk a little bit about positive changes. Hopefully, we've seen in the industry over the last few years. You've been driving for over a decade now. What, if anything, can you can you point to as positive outcomes that we need more of? Positive outcomes that we need more of. Okay, <laughs> let, let me take. I'm me. hoping there's one. I'm hoping there's one in there. um you know i i am i mean i love driving and that's why i wanted to be a truck driver i love driving and i love being out on the in the country and and um pulling freight i think you know what 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 i think is positive is when i entered the industry there were you know uh, two or three special interest groups and unless they spoke for you, 
which they never did. You read the article and they're like, they, why didn't they say this? Why didn't they say that? Social media has given truck drivers a voice. And I think that, that, that without social media, you, I wouldn't be talking to you here today. We wouldn't have real women in trucking or other she trucking or all these other groups that are, have risen up to give drivers a way to get information, re- accurate information. Um, and, and we've been heard by the FMCSA. We've been invited to meet with them. Um, I'm now on the transportation research board for a, for a, a group there that we're working on something. I'm on several freight advisory committees. I'm on the FMCSA, a MIXAC driver subcommittee. Those things happened because of my um, social media activity, not because any special interest group, um, you know, I'm not like, I'm not their, their image person. I'm, I'm the one they don't want you to hear from. So I think that it's important for drivers to know they do have a voice now and they should use their social media for a purpose instead of just, you know, ego fluffing, because I see a lot of drivers that have huge followings, but what do you do? Are you doing something purposeful with it? You know, Definitely. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with having a platform and there's a lot of danger that comes with having access to a lot of years. And it's interesting you went that way because I was <clears throat> I was thinking if we needed one answer that I thought tech might be one of the, the drivers of positive outcome. But to your point, it's also something we have to be keenly aware of because it can be a danger, not only distracted driving, but having misaligned incentives again for drivers who again, are just looking for a paycheck, looking for a voice instead of trying to make things better for others. And that's where this show, I really like the opportunity of trying to broaden our perspective and our view and think not just about what is going to make us the next dollar or make our life more comfortable, but really being intentional about giving a voice to others who may not have historically been heard and pausing to listen, because there's a lot that we all have to learn. And that's, I'm grateful you came on the show because your voice is powerful for that. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what's next for real women in trucking? Are there um, online groups we can we can send our listeners to? Do you have um, um, gatherings or associations? Where are you speaking next? How can we kind of amplify this message? Well, I'm speaking next week in Miami um, with the uh, Freight um, Transportation Advisory Committee in Miami about truck parking. That is another big issue. Uh, that I speak on a lot to talk about, you know, there, there, there's part of the industry that says, oh, nothing happened with truck parking. That's not true. There's a lot of funding for truck parking. Truck parking is an eligible activity when states include it in their freight plan. Now, with the new infrastructure bill, it is required that states study truck parking. And there is funding in that bill when they ask for it or they're leaving money on the table. It takes, I go to a lot of different states and talk about this and we don't, I don't get a salary. Uh, I get sometimes from real women in trucking a little bit of money to pay my phone bill and, and stuff. I'm not bringing in a million dollars a year and flying around in a helicopter but this is important for us. We, we would love to have more advocates. We would love to have more people that take our talking points and go to their states 
their state uh, freight advisory committee and saying, here's the funding, here's the ideas for repurposing existing infrastructure, here is how you're leaving money on the table. Because I can't go to all these meetings. I'm not as familiar with, you know, Minnesota or or um, Idaho as I am with Florida or Nevada or California or some, you know, Texas and stuff like that. So we really need more participation on that front to um, get the talking points, get the facts and help us out. We're on uh, Facebook, uh, Real Women in Trucking. We were holding events. We had our annual Queen of the Road Awards. We had them in Las Vegas. We came to Chattanooga to the She Trucking Expo. We plan on going next year. We participated in the Make-A-Wish Mother's Day Convoy in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I really don't want to be an event planner because I want to be an advocate. I want to make change. And we don't bring in the money or have the help to have events take a long time to plan. We'd love to have more board members that are diverse. We're, we're having, um, uh, we're asking people right now, if you want to get involved, let us know uh, because we want others to that care about improving this industry to have a voice, you know, it shouldn't be all one person, but it's, we understand it's hard for drivers because when you're driving, you can't, you're thinking, but you can't write, you know, you can't write a letter and stuff. So uh, that's, that's really been a challenge is, is, you know, how we support ourselves because we are drivers. That's exactly what I was about to say was in the middle of all your other advocacy and event planning, you're still driving and have a career where you're out there moving freight and making money too. So uh, that definitely is a challenge that, you know, hopefully technology and these platforms we have allow you guys on Facebook or whatever platform you're using to be able to connect and build consensus and get bills and, and, you know, letters written up where you can countersign and submit to some of these groups where you can see some of these positive outcomes happen. Right. Um, I do want to ask, I typically ask a lot of my guests who are on right at the end, like, why is sustainability important to you personally? I think within what we've covered within the S and the G aspects of ESG, that it's very clear why this advocacy role is super important to you. So I'm going to ask a different question that I'm just personally curious about. What was your favorite load you've ever delivered and why? Mm, gosh, <laughs> that's so hard. I mean, I won't say that it's a favorite. I've had a lot of them that were really exciting. I got to go to Kittery, Maine, to the um, nuclear submarine, where the nuclear submarine is parked. And, of course, I had to get special clearance to get on the base. And it's an old base. It's like the buildings are like from the 1700s. And so I'm having to maneuver the truck in there between those buildings to get all the way to the water's edge to the nuclear submarine to pick up the guy that works on it, the welder that works on it, his equipment. And, and, and then all the military guys are like hand loading it into my trailer, you know, these big pieces of equipment. And it was pretty exciting. I'm like, I am on like the, one of the most secure bases in one of the most secure areas to see this thing. I would never see this thing, you know? Um, there are so many, I mean, just, you could just write a book of all of the, the things that you've done, picked up. A lot of people talk about going in the caves, but uh, when I think about getting there, you know, parking that big truck right alongside that 
that submarine at that base. I was like, between those old buildings, I was like, oh, this is really cool. And you can't take a picture, you know. That is so cool. And that's one you're definitely, that's a memorable one for sure. Now, that one makes me think, I just downloaded the audiobook Uncommon Carriers. I don't know if you've heard it, but I really love the deep dive he did into the life of a driver and a lot of different modes and equipments. We'll post the link in, in the show notes. But Desiree, thank you. This was informational for me, inspirational, knowing that we've got a long way to go. I'm hopeful our listeners will check out your Facebook and get connected on social and try to do what we advocate here every day, which is make things better for all of us, right? We appreciate your time and your voice. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll do it again soon. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks.